and you're documenting very important information from amazing people. I think that so. may not be on this planet much longer. You know, yeah, that's huge. Yep. And and they may be saying something in a way they've never said to anyone before. I, I hope ever. I hope so. That's that's like what I'm always. That's exciting. Kind of listening yeah. for are those are those nuggets and you know like last year Alan sat down and was just telling old stories. Oh. And it's so fun. I didn't have to do anything. I just get them started and maybe you're them, the one to talk. write a book about Alan. Oh man, I don't I don't Someone think so, needs but... to do it. Yeah. Maybe his wife. I mean, she's a literary person, but someone needs okay. to do a Alan Mundy bio. Well, it sounds like memo. I probably don't even know as much about him as as you do. I mean, I find I him don't, interesting. But every time he opens his mouth, it's a gem. I mean, yeah. his history, his stories, he remembers everything, and he has great twists on who did what and where and the music and, and, and just talking about music. I mean, yep. he's, he's very amazing, and very the, deep. And just the, his use of um, – I don't even know what you would call it. Like, uh, like his, his thing in the interview that I did with him was music is like – Reading a book, you already know all the words, but you just have to put them together in the best way to say something new. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. There's only 12 notes. Just play them. (laughs) Stuff like that. He has a way of, you know, simplifying really difficult concepts. And he he does a good job of disarming you with his slow Oklahoma talk. And 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 then sweatpants and, you know. (laughs) His new balances. (laughs) Yeah. Greetings, everyone. This is your friendly neighborhood banjo podcast host, Keith Billick, here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining me. I'm a couple days later than I wanted to be getting this episode out to you, but I have a valid excuse. Hear me out. So I went to Midwest Banjo Camp recently, which is, I've mentioned it before, it's a gig I always do with, um, I run sound for the faculty concerts, is what I do there. But I do try to take advantage of my time there and get a few interviews to use for the podcast and this year was no exception so these next several podcast episodes are most likely going to be ones that i recorded while i was at midwest banjo camp so hope you can forgive me for being a day or two late but i had i did a lot of work there over several days and just took me a little while to get myself organized and get these turned around and uh out there for you to listen to but um I know you're going to, going to enjoy them. Uh, there's some really good ones, and this one is no exception. However, as always, I need to take a minute before we start here to recognize the sponsor of today's episode. And today's sponsor is known mysteriously just as Michael G. And Michael G. is from Southwest UK in Bristol. And I, I, I just think this is so cool. It never ceases to blow me away that these things that I record in my very humble suburban Detroit basement somehow make its way to your ears all over the world. And Michael G. in Southwest UK is listening, and he has a very familiar story. He, he attended a bluegrass jam, and the sound of the banjo was, was enough to make him book a lesson right then and there with the banjo player in the, in the jam session band. And he's, he's really taken to it and he's, he's loving his experience with it. 
And I think that's just a really cool lead in to this episode, actually, because um, my guest for today, Janet Beasley, has a very similar story. And it's it's actually not even that rare of a story that people get their start with banjo by hearing someone play it and just being mesmerized enough that they know that that is their new calling and end up seeking out a way to to get one in their hands and and start their journey so michael g thank you so much for your support and for becoming a uh, sponsor of today's episode for any of the rest of you who want to become a supporter of an episode go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and you can find out how to do that for those of you looking for ways to support the podcast in a non-financial way it really just comes down to spreading the word, right? So it means sharing the links on social media, telling your friends who might be interested in in listening to the shows, telling professional banjo players that you might come across, tell them that they should be participating in the shows, have them reach out to me. I'm totally open to all of that. And, you know, for as, for as much as I just emphasized how, how amazing it is that the show gets listened to across the world, let's face it, the banjo world is still a pretty small one. We all end up running into each other now and then. And the more things like this that can bring us together, the, the cooler the community is. So keep spreading the word and go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast if you're so inclined to become an actual sponsor of an episode. But enough of this boring stuff. Today's episode features Janet Beasley, who is the primary banjo player for Chris Stewart and Backcountry, which was a California-based bluegrass band. She's also very popular around the camps, and hence the reason I was able to run into her at Midwest Banjo Camp. She's always just fantastically popular at these camps by the students because she is extremely approachable, always has just a really positive attitude, and is a fantastic teacher. So even though she doesn't perform professionally as much anymore as she used to, she knows what she's talking about, and she has a very supportive, encouraging, enthusiastic vibe about her that I think really comes through, and you'll you'll get to experience that listening to this episode as I mentioned, she performs with Chris Stewart and Backcountry. She's on those recordings. She also has her own solo album titled Five South. So check all that out. And I don't know why I hesitate to mention this, but there's also a glass ceiling being broken here. Janet is actually the first woman guest of the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast. And I know that some of you notice that because I get those emails about, hey, when are you going to get a woman guest on the podcast? Well, right now is the answer. And I assure you, it is not because of any lack of me wanting a woman guest. It's just, I'm in Detroit and I need to get guests who come around close to me who I can interview. So I'm a little bit at the mercy of people's tour schedules, but at any rate, I'm so delighted to present Janet here. As I said, she's always a student favorite at these camps. It's always great to see her, run into her at these camps, and I had a lot of fun talking to her. So here it is, my conversation with Janet Beasley. My 
My name's Janet Beasley, and I've um, been playing the banjo about 30 years, I guess. What? Because I just gave away my age because I started in my 30s. So you're 31. I'm 31, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a genius. <laughs> um, so I was, uh, I remember it as a kid hearing the sound of the banjo on television. I think, you know, I was 11, 12, Beverly Hillbillies. Are we talking Beverly Hillbillies? You know, the usual. Okay. Uh, Steve Martin on the Smothers Brothers and um, and being struck with that sound. Just the various Just ways like, it seeped into like, pop culture. Miller, and Miller, I noticed it. I mean, remember clearly when I'd hear it going, whoa. <laughs> and I was at – all my childhood was spent playing flute in bands and orchestras and I majored in music. And I was a classical flute player for years and and my parents – uh, my mother actually was from Missouri, and her relatives, I think, were – she actually called them hillbillies. So they okay. were um, country folk, I guess, and was – Yeah, it wasn't always a pejorative, I guess. It Still wasn't, but I think she wasn't proud of that because okay. she you know, went to the city. She went to St. Louis and met my dad and so forth. And they, so is that where you grew up, St. Louis? No, I grew up in Southern California. Okay. So they, I knew that's where you yeah, are living. Yeah, she in. left – Okay. And went west. And my dad's from Iowa, actually. So they're both Midwesterners, came to, okay. came to the west. Yeah. And um, they're, bo- they're both classical music fiends and uh, cool jazz. So Ooh. there was a lot of classical music and Dave Brubeck and stuff going on in our house. Yeah, when we, great. Um, which I love that. But the banjo really stuck in my mind. But it wasn't anything I was ever had a chance or even thought of I'd have a chance to do until grad school. And oh. then I was in grad school and not oh, ironic. Have, yeah. I know, not having a great time, actually. Uh, I was majoring in musicology, and uh, you don't play music when you're majoring in musicology, apparently. What exactly is musicology? Is that more anthropology? It's kind of the anthropology of music, of music okay. history and theories, history development, threads of thought about what happens. And um, I was applying it to early music, Renaissance and Baroque music, which is mm-hmm. what I was playing then. And um, actually was not playing very much, ironically, studying music. So, yeah. I, so a friend of mine took me to a Bill Monroe concert at McCabe's Guitar Shop in Santa oh, Monica. yes, I've been there. How cool. Whoa, it was awesome. And then the next week we went and saw Doc Watson. And I said, I am going to buy that banjo on the wall tonight. And, and so I went up to the counter and I said, I want that banjo. And he said, what kind of music do you want to play? Uh, bluegrass. Bill music. That's not the kind of banjo you want. It was some oh. banjo that had lights inside of it, and it was, okay. I mean, it was just on display. <laughs> yeah. So I came back the next day, and I bought a Deering Maple Blossom. Oh, went right for it. Went right for it yeah. and started taking lessons immediately and oh, just ate it up. It was so much fun. Of course, meanwhile, my grad studies were <laughs> faltering a little. <laughs> faltering, and it took me a lot longer to get out of school, but... Uh, it was fantastic. I just loved it. Oh, that's so just great. Just ate it up. Just ate it up. So what what age were you hearing all this stuff on, on television? How long had that been kind of teasing you in the background? Yeah, the 60s, you know, Andy Griffiths. Beverly, I mean, we watched a lot of TV in the okay. 60s as kids. Yeah. And it was, you could hear it. I mean, there was, you know, Bonnie and Clyde theme on the radio. and yeah. and. Um, so how do you think, in your early days of learning, how did your classical background inform 
how you approached it? Did that make you more – I'm imagining maybe you were more a disciplined student perhaps I than maybe – Definitely. Someone? I think that was okay. the key advantage is that I knew how to practice. Mm-hmm. I knew how to break things down. But I never had played by ear very much. Oh. Ironically, you'd think you know, with all that music education, you'd be playing flute by ear and no. It's all, it all comes on all. a page, right? All, and, and I got really good yeah. at reading, of course, because that's the skill you need to yeah. work, in, especially in L.A. And playing banjo, I mean, I started with a lot of tab, but my teacher wisely said, hey, no, let's, let's jam. And mm-hmm. I go, what? <laughs> you know, and, cor- yeah. and just understanding chord relationships, you know, I, I took theory classes, like always got A's because I'm a good student. But I didn't think I got circle of fifths until I started, until I learned um, Salty Dog Blues. Oh, right. Where and it's just go, the circle. Yeah, huh? yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And, and so you knew it theoretically, but you weren't, what you didn't understand was like the effect that it creates? I is think. That, is that and what I, you mean? You know, when I play banjo, I feel those chords as mm-hmm. well as hear them. Mm-hmm. And there's that tactile connection between what I'm hearing and what I'm playing. Yeah. Well, on the flute, you know, there's only one place you put any finger. So you don't right. get chord movement quite in the same way on a flute, especially if you're a reader like I was. So, Yeah, you're, you're maybe more narrow in your focus. Yeah, very of, linear yeah. sense of great melody. I mean, you have a good sense of melody and... You know, but um, I, it blew my mind. Um, I, I have to ask this too because I, um, it doesn't seem like I was maybe as high achieving as you were at flute, but I played saxophone growing up. And even to this day, I've actually ruined, probably, probably you could count it on one hand, I've ruined a couple of studio takes because I will gasp for breath in between my banjo lines when I, I think my, I just trained my brain to breathe during pauses, so I'll, I'll be playing and do this, and mm-hmm. of course the microphones pick it up, and every once in a while it's been actually bad enough that it, I have to do it over again. But that's Does awesome. that happen to you too? Oh, yeah. But I think we, being wind players, yeah. and also I, I sang as a kid a lot in Girl Scouts, and just okay. we, you sing in school when, at that era, so you did a lot of learning folk songs as a classroom. So I always did a lot of singing, and I think it really helped my sense of phrasing, yeah. and it informed my banjo phrasing. And just the the importance of breathing. <laughs> I think we f- tend to hold our breath when we play. I and think I do, yeah. At key moments, right, like right before a solo or you're about to kick off a song, you're, uh, you're a bit uh, tense. Uh, yeah. yeah, you don't feed your brain the oxygen because you don't think about it. But as wind players, I think we probably more instinctive about. You get the breath while you can because you're not ever completely certain when that next opportunity is going to happen. It's like swimming, you know. Right, right, (laughs) right. So you mentioned that you were a more disciplined student and you knew how to how to practice. Is there anything that you could distill for listeners in terms of what what you think you were good at that you see students not being so good at? I think the advantage I had with all that all those lessons and training is that I when I started playing banjo and I went to my first jam, I realized, oh, I have no idea how to do this. Mm-hmm. I need to learn my chord shapes. I need to work on my timing. I need yeah. to understand the relationship between backup and lead. Yeah, There's a big difference, different function. 
And in bluegrass, there's even this like lead backup Very concept. Who's sof- who's going to do the lead backup on this? Verse? And it's so uh, sophisticated. Yeah. I, I mean, you, at That's first funny. you don't think, oh yeah, just you know, but it's not that simple. And right. but and just teaching my fingers how to get places, how to break down technical challenges and prioritize them. Like, okay, my lessons on Monday, I have a jam on Tuesday. What do I need to do to be successful? And I usually would boil down to right-hand issues, like sorting out those roles and getting really muscle memory roles and stop looking at the tab so much and yeah. chord shapes. How know? do you recommend people work on their right hand? And I guess as a part B of the question, how do they get off of tab? Because that is that is scary to not have your, your crutch sometimes. It is. Yeah, it was, was for me. I mean, uh-huh. I, I love reading music, so it was easy for me to play from tab. At some point, I, I realized that I had to get the feel of a forward roll, mm-hmm. the feel of an alternating roll, the feel, the sound of an alternating roll, the rhythmic quality or the syncopated quality of a forward roll. Where to accent it yeah. in terms of the, the beats. Where the, and the important music, pulses yeah. and um, that that roll emphasizes the second string, you know, yeah, just the, yeah. So just you know, breaking it down like that to get away from the tab and see these roll patterns that I'd been playing and I could visualize in my mind, but I didn't really have it, the feel, the muscle memory in my hand. Yeah. So that helped me a lot. Okay. Yeah. Being able to hear it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've, and you started to allude to this, but um, a big point that I've heard you drive home with students here is uh, how to play with singing, either if it's your maybe yourself singing and just how the banjo can relate to that larger song awareness. Yeah. What are your key tips for for that approach or or what do you feel like you've learned that's been the most valuable? I think the key tip for me was that the voice comes first. Mm-hmm. Your vocal comes first. And then after that I figure out what I can do. What what can I do on the banjo that's yeah. rhythmic, supportive, makes it sound, the voice sound better? And if I can't think of anything to do, I won't play. I mean, if I'm by myself, obviously, I'm, you know, just do something, yeah. something simple. But um, and every time I've, when I was playing in our band and I sang lead, I had to do some sort of rolling. And so I developed an easy roll that I knew I could do. Even when you're concentrating on... on some- I would right. do something, but I would, you know, so I've starting with a quarter note and then doing some sort of a forward, backward kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I could still keep track of the lyric and think about pitch and breathing. And and the, the banjo noise doesn't completely disappear from, right. from the arrangement. So it uh, doesn't, it's not too Avoiding the second string, you yeah. know, avoiding that forward, backward roll, avoiding yeah. that note as much as possible. and 
Totally. Yeah. So, so in terms of getting out of the way of the vocal, is that mostly a volume thing? Is it mostly a tonal range thing? Is it more of a percussive thing? Yeah, how, I, how, yeah. Everything maybe. I, I think different player <laughs> would have a different solution. Yeah. I mean, I I really have to focus on singing to pull it off. Mm. I I mean, I, it's not that easy for me. And lyrics, you know, thinking of lyrics. I mean, there's ten things you have to kind of. I have to think about when I if I want to sing at my best. So, yeah, dynamics. Obviously, you have to. It's really hard to, you know, think, okay, sing loud, play soft, now play loud, now sing loud and play soft, and then back and forth. Of course, if you're in a sound system, I really set up the mics so that I can, when I'm singing, I'm out of the banjo mic. Right, And then I can move in for a fill or my solo or or whatever. So it's really important that I set it up that way because I very often lose track of my volume on banjo and just trying to accommodate the the podcast medium i guess to describe it you're you're saying that you would if you're standing and you have your vocal mic where your vocal mic should be your banjo mic actually ends up being what a foot or two off to one side or another right and that way it has to be a more deliberate transition yeah is that very much idea very much i mean i like i like to hear a little bit of it but Basically, my banjo playing is not going to be as good when I'm singing. Uh So my time—I mean, my priority is timing, and I have practiced at home with a metronome, singing, and playing, so that I can kind of not focus on my singing, but focus on my timing of whatever role I'm trying to, you know, maintaining the tempo because you know we have a lot of control over that as banjo players, Mm -hmm. for good or evil. And when you're singing, it can go either way. When you're singing, it's like you know. Yeah, that's so just multitasking not your focus is, anymore. Yeah, right. yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So to go back to when you were learning, did you did you take lessons at McCabe's? Mm-hmm. Is that who was teaching you? Isn't it? Okay. Yeah, his name was John Schlocker. Nice. He passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, okay. but great musician, well known local player, and a super good guy and very generous. What other music were you getting into? You you said that you saw Bill Monroe and Doc Watson at McCabe's. Were their main banjo players who you really looked up to at that time and wanted to model well, yourself after? you know, J.D. Crow came. I mean, okay. yeah. And that was a, especially for backup. I just it blew my mind yeah. to watch him play. And, and Hot Rise was at their peak then. Mm-hmm. And they were super entertaining. And of course, Tim O'Brien's singing was mind-blowing. Yeah, and so, you know, Pete Wernick. And in fact, that was my first banjo workshop was a Pete Warnick workshop at Blue Ridge Pick and Parlor up in the Valley, yeah. which was there for many years. And Hot Rise, they all did a workshop, and that was my first banjo workshop. One of those Warnick, does he, what does he call it? The Warnick method Warnick now? Method. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have people to play with in, in your area? My husband at the time was a guitar player, so mm-hmm. we picked, and we actually got into a local band fairly quickly, probably sooner than I was qualified for, but that really made me focus on what skills I needed to be in actual bands. And we played local festivals. So after playing about two years, I got into this little local band. And So the way you've described your uh, 
I was going to say banjo light bulb moment, and I realized that was a little too punny with the fact that you wanted to buy the banjo with the light bulbs <laughs> in it. But you had this like singular event that made you want it, and now I'm surprised to hear that your husband at the time was into it too. Was this a situation where you had to drag him into this, or did that happen it, with both of you? He had played guitar when he was younger, and you know he had some bluegrass records, but he okay. hadn't been playing, and me just kind of... Oh. Um, got him that back was enough into it. To, yeah. mm-hmm. to, to light that fire. And we had a too. super neat local group of pickers that were all about the same level. And mm-hmm. so we camped together at festivals. Oh, that's and perfect. Picked all night. And yeah. yeah, it was just like the perfect intro to bluegrass because I had all the so things, much. all the yeah. ducks were in a row and really, really fun. So you mentioned that that was when you, uh, getting into that first group really taught you what you needed to know. What What do you think those things are that playing with people teaches you that you can't get from Boy. taking your lessons or, or what, yeah. whatever you're going to do by yourself? So many things. Uh-huh. I, like I, being a flute player, I was really drawn to melodic playing. Okay. At home, it, by myself, intricate little fiddle tunes and stuff. And then when I got in a band, I learned very quickly that I couldn't pull that off on stage oh. at any kind of speed. And also that it was a little too busy when I was back. I would develop these intricate little backup melodic, melodic style. things, okay. and it it did not work. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and that's a subjective thing. But for me, it, I realized eh, not yeah. only can I not do that very well, but um, it's not it that musical. Wouldn't sound good even if you yeah. did it. And I realized also that my main role was to keep the rhythmic groove that was you know okay. of course that took years to realize and put into action in any way you know just to really work on my timing Did, had you quit flute by that point i was in early music by then so i was playing baroque flute okay. and i had to play this array of instruments to get my degree um viola da gamba and yeah. i actually studied some baroque guitar and some renaissance guitar and you know because it's kind of picking finger picking yeah. style so yeah, that makes and sense. And so that degree involved being able to double on all those early instruments. So I spent a lot of time with that. But fortunately, our early music professor, Jim Tyler at USC, played the banjo. No way. He did. How cool. It How did you so even cool. figure that out? Well, he played classical banjo. Okay. So, um, so but it was, he was really good. He's made records. So he had an understanding of the banjo. He said... He told me, you know, well, I play classical banjo, not country banjo. <laughs> and I go, that's cool. But he did appreciate, you know, that kind of playing. At least he didn't it write was, it off just immediately. He didn't. And he, yeah. and he understood because he's a, he a lutenist. That's his main gig. Mm-hmm. He was a performer. So he got the relationship between playing music and studying music. There was, you know, they went hand in hand. So that was a good fit. Yeah. It's nice to have some sort of a kindred spirit, I guess. Yeah. How about now? Does the flute ever make its way into what you do? Um, well, on our Chris Stewart and Backcountry albums, I play a lot of whistle, on, recorded oh, a lot of whistle, okay. and used flutes for backup pads in different tunes. Then the jellies grow, cry chorus. Why do you mouth me so? You'll always be a beauty and die a jealous
actually we we are playing Irish music a lot in uh, we live in Port Towns in Washington now and we okay. there's a Irish session every Tuesday night and I'm playing Irish flute and my husband's playing concertina oh, so yeah. we're we're kind of deep in that now as students so we're just learning I, that repertoire and... yeah I have a whole new appreciation for our banjo students here going to jams and not knowing the tunes and just having your mind just blown yeah exactly yeah if it's anything like those type of sessions that I go to it, it can also be frustrating because maybe if you're really astute you've figured the tune out by the time it's over and then they just start another one right and okay yeah i'm not astute start enough over. yet <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they only play it three times in in the session we oh, go to. Oh, do they? So Maybe I'm thinking like, more of old time music or something. But yeah, that you're just getting the hang of it, and then they move on. Yeah, and all the ornaments. Yeah, are, and the speed are very crazy. Pretty quick. Oh, that's really cool, though. It's really fun. Um, let's talk about your actual instrument. What's your banjo of choice these days? What do you have with well, you? Well, this banjo is my only bluegrass banjo. It's a Gibson Granada, circa 1990. Okay, and. Um, I've had it for 20 years, and uh-huh. I have an open back banjo that's been cobbled together that's um, kind of cool. A Bart Ryder neck and a little wonder pot that's okay. waiting for me to learn how to play old-time music at home. Maybe after the, after the Irish thing is mastered, yeah. you'll, you'll move on to that. I hope so. <laughs> so the listeners are also gear junkies. So take us through, is there anything special that you have with your with your banjo in terms of a strong preference on what head you use or the, or your setup or your bridge or your strings you or your know, picks or not any too of that picky fun about set I mean it's uh, you know I keep the head relatively tight it's the same bridge it's I don't even know what it is it's compensated yeah I use light gauge strings um, 10 11 13 12 10. So there's tens on the outside, yeah. which I like for pinches. Yeah, uh, I've got a cool Elliot capo yeah. that one of my students gave me has my name on it. Oh wow! Love this capo. It's really sweet. Just very. How did you get your name on it? It's engraved, oh, you can pay engraved it. Yeah, you can just pay him to okay. engrave it. Yeah, it's nice. Really, really nice. Um, I've been using the same picks for like 20 years. It's amazing that I haven't lost them they're Roy's or stepped own. on them that's what I always Roy's like, own like Little Roy Little Roy oh and, and I actually actually tried to find some more online and th- they have a website uh-huh. but I don't get any response for, so I don't know whether they're still selling them but no like I'm yeah. afraid because they're kind of getting worn out oh and you that's your only pair of them yep oh that's not good. Don't do that, you guys. Yeah, that's scary. And now you've just <laughs> jinxed yourself, probably. So. And I butterfly, I mean, they, you know, 20 years ago, they didn't have different sizes. So I have to sort of butterfly the, so they don't overlap. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the bands are too yeah. long for how the size right. of your fingers. Like Lynn so Morris got to cinch them a bit. Did yeah. that. So I saw her picks way back. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And then I just. What do you got to take some pliers to it? It yeah. took months to get it just comfortable. Oh, and they man. fit my fingers perfectly. Well, I hope they keep lasting you I, for as, I know. as this long is not, as possible. It's not smart. It's not smart. <laughs> and then I use just an inexpensive Golden Gate thumb pick, and I line it because, you know, I don't like small size thumb picks because usually the blade is too small. Mm-hmm. So, gals, if you have small thumbs, I'd line it with double signing, double-sided mask. Uh, what is that? masking tape, molding tape, the, the kind of stuff that you 
hang posters on, you know, with your college oh. dorm room. You just I don't know what it's actually called. It's just the poster, the poster yeah, tape. Yeah, it's got it's yeah. a little f- bit of foam. Foamy. It's about 16th of an inch thick. Okay, so buy an oversized thumb pick and that's probably more comfortable anyway, and it's then you get the added benefit of the longer. It's very blade. tight. It's yeah. not going to rotate, so that was my solution. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. What are you into these days with Banjo? Are there current players who you really admire or are you, do you feel like you're still learning a lot on the banjo? I know you said you're dabbling more with the Irish flute. Now, I but, uh, have to be honest and say I, it's, I'm not – I mean I'm really amazed by the newer – the young players today. Wow, they're so innovative <laughs> and so – that's such a high technical level and, and I love that. It's not stuff that I heard when I was right. starting out. So it's wonderful to have that kind of musical – the spectrum of music you can play on the five-string banjo now is yeah, it can get Crazy. pretty discouraging if you let it, but um, yeah, just have to use it to inspire instead. You know, I guess the older I get, the more I appreciate just solid, you know, the first generation, second generation players, and you mm-hmm. know, so every time I hear you know the Lonesome River Band and those guys, I oh man, you know, Ron Block, yeah, so he was great. a big influence, you know, when I was because he was from Southern California, so oh yeah, he was yeah. a young hot player when I started playing and. It, R- big influence, mm-hmm. big uh, inspiration for me. Any other tips of how to, how to get that sound? Like uh, you mentioned using the metronome. It sounds like you, you view that as a pretty important thing, is just having that bedrock of, I don't know, stability, yeah. I, guess, I guess you'd call it. How do you, what, are, what are the actual nuts and bolts of how you use a metronome to practice and improve? Yeah, you know, it's funny because... As a, in my formal music training, I didn't use a metronome that often. Really? I'm ashamed okay. to say. I mean, it was mentioned. Oh, maybe you should use a metronome on that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Whatever. you should up the speed on that. It's, play it really fast. But when I started playing banjo, man, and uh, mentioning Ron Block again, I heard, heard him backstage uh, warming up, and he had headphones on plugged into a drum machine, mm-hmm. and he was playing this at this speed. <laughs> Of course, better than that, but I mean, it was, and then he would up it and and just working on a roll. So a it's simple like simple roll at a slow simple tempo. Yeah. at impeccable timing and tone. Hmm. So, and I I realized that I guess you're never done keeping that that timing. You know, the Alison Krauss band is like the killer They're, killer rhythm, yeah. and 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 his playing is a big huge part of that. Of so yeah, that um. Yeah, so metronome is a is my friend. I enjoy playing to the metronome. I do too. Yeah, but I've I I should maybe start challenging myself to slow it down. We always think in terms of cranking it up and ratcheting up the speed and and being able to play fast, but there's the whole other end of the metronome dial. Yeah, that, there's a lot of space there. between those notes. Right. At certain and that's the beautiful that's the beautiful part because that tone is ringing, that sustain. You can appreciate this, this gorgeous sustain on a banjo with the, you know, if there's a little bit of space. And, it, yeah. um, and being a little bit off of the click becomes that much more apparent when there just aren't very many clicks to be heard or notes. Yeah. Ringing. And when, um, as banjo players, we were talking about controlling the tempo 
you know, during the course of a song. There's a cool app that I'm, I'm not usually an app person, but there's a cool app where it's, it, it measures the, just how fast you are. You play something and it just, it tells you it, the, while you're playing, the BPM. So you can keep track of the number as you're playing through something to see, oh. are you speeding up? Where are you? To see if it's changing. Yeah. Like, and I, I went through that while I was singing. Cool. So, I, so I, you know, this is at home practicing, just going through a song that I was working on and playing backup. And I realized, oh man, every time I sing, it goes, whoom, slows yeah. down a lot. And then every time I pick up a solo, I get rush, 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 and then slow down. I, and I think a little bit of that is cool. You know, I'm sure the Bluegrass Album Band, yeah. if you put a, but this was a lot. Yeah. This was major. It's almost like the old stories you hear about the people who play together and then they walk around the yeah. house and see if they're still in time when they meet each other yeah. background. It's uh Do you remember the name of that app? That sounds really interesting. Can, I'm going to have to humiliate myself by <laughs> seeing how well I think I it's can called BPM. BPM. Huh. I'm going to check It's that very out. simple. Yeah. I mean, it's like on and off and it just measures what you're doing. And I think it's a little bit sensitive it's very inexpensive but it's cool yeah that that's a really that is really valuable perception of time is so subjective right depending on what you're drinking and what you're eating and how much sleep you've gotten and just sensing tempo changes and being able to do that deliberately even just kind of arriving at the beat you know at the one chord and having a little moment you know and then so I guess you can play with that on purpose, but it's just interesting to see what your tendencies are that you weren't aware of. You don't of. even realize. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. That, that does seem really interesting. There's another app there. Sorry. Okay. It's, it's no, my, keep, it's keep just going. two apps it. for singing, and it's all it's doing, it's got a grid of, you, know, you look at your phone, because I have it on my phone, and it's, there's the, the names of the notes are here from low to high, and then there's grid lines in half steps, and then you just sing into it. And so if a, you're in tune, it's green, ah. and there's a green band on the G, say. And then if you're a little sharp, it's pink, and if you're a little flat, it's blue. So it's a tuner, but it just translates but it, just shows it to you. the note. Yeah, so if yeah. I'm just singing, I, yeah, I can't play banjo to it, cause, but if I'm just singing, I can hear, oh, I'm flat on the high notes and sharp on the low notes, and that's my general I'm not hearing that interval quite right, you know. So, but and it, yeah. it's very simple. You just How turn it on and off, and it's that's addicting. really cool. Yeah, technology. Yeah, but is it something that'll end up driving you crazy about your own playing if you start to notice that you always slow down when you sing, and now that, you're catching I, yourself performing? I and, think there is something to that. Oh, where yeah. you know, I mean, I I'm at an age now where I can kind of go. Who cares? That, whatever. <laughs> but I've been through many years of having complexes about kicking off a song in time or yeah. singing that note, high note and tune or, or just having the knowledge that, oh, yeah, you tend to do this. You know, we'll make, well, okay, well, I'm going to do that then. Mm-hmm. So, but nowadays I, I can turn off the phone. I can just sit and play and not get too obsessed with that. But I can see how a person could. Right, right. You you mentioned that you don't perform as much as you teach these days. Do you even have a group that you play with regularly f- with the banjo? Uh, we have 
Uh, we just moved to Port Townsend like yeah, two, yeah. a year and a half ago, so okay. we're still kind of getting to know the scene. There's uh, right. So far, we haven't met a lot of bluegrass pickers, but there are a couple people we get together with and just play in the living room for fun, and mm-hmm. that's really fun. And it's, it's a big old-time community, so there's tons of old-time players. Okay. And, um, so and then get, we you'll met get some our use Irish. out of that Bart Ryder, Little Wonder. I hope to. Eventually. It'd be silly to not dip my toe in that water at some point because they're yeah. really cool people and great players and for sure and um yeah so you know my husband chris is you know still writing some songs so you know we play the two of us play as a duo for fundraiser things like for the radio station and stuff so yeah but our main learning focus is on the irish thing right now nice which is kind of fun have you put any on the on the banjo or it's strictly your whistle and flute i started by playing a couple on the banjo but it's so much easier on flute okay. to play a melody yeah yeah uh, that's because i have you know muscle memory for that i don't really know i'm not a good flute teacher weirdly because i hmm. started so young and it was just kind of a natural i was a natural on that banjo i had to be very thoughtful and conscious about what i was doing so i'm a way better banjo teacher than I'm a flute teacher. So picking up something and playing flute, even though it's by ear and I never was trained to play by ear, that's coming really natural because I have How interesting. some yeah. technique. You know, that, I have. that part of it uh, maybe carries over from your banjo yeah, instruction. I think so. I also didn't come to banjo until I was like in my early 20s. So yeah, it's, it's odd to be able to, we both remember having to learn something from, from scratch where probably your flute you don't remember your right. early days of being taught how to hold the thing. And or, when you picked up the banjo, your ears were pretty sophisticated. So you knew what it should sound like yeah. from day one. And yep. that's, yeah, exactly. that's frustrating, but it's also a really good hook to keep get you going. Yeah, yeah. And you can stick with it. Yeah. All right, Janet. Well, uh, I don't know. Any other last parting words of, of wisdom? I know you're always one of the, the favorites here at the, the camps. You're always so supportive. and. I'm, and everything. So it's always I, good to see you here. Thanks. Thanks. I love being here. And um, I guess my only advice to those of you out there, you know, learning, just keep at it. Try to be a good musician mm-hmm. and always try to be musical and make things sound better and uh, have fun. So find the fun and find a way to practice jamming, getting involved with other folks. And if you're in an isolated yeah. area, I was just talking to some folks in the first class that they did, you know, there's these apps. We were talking about apps. There's a huge world of technology out there that can be very helpful. So, For people in isolated areas? Yeah, jamming oh, okay. stuff, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Really uh, generous of you to swing by. Thank you, Keith. Right. It's been really fun. Thanks. Yeah. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast featuring guest Janet Beasley. You heard a sound clip in this show, which was the track titled The Jealous Crow, and that was recorded by Chris Stewart and Backcountry. Once again, thank you very much to Michael G. from Bristol, UK, for supporting the podcast and becoming a sponsor on patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Everyone else, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast if you want to become a supporter of the show or contact me for any other reason whatsoever at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me, folks. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening and hope you have a great day. Bye. Bye.
you're here for. <laughs> now I wish I didn't have quite so much coffee. <laughs> and then I had some of the thermos stuff out there and that kind of wrecked my delicate caffeine balance. Yeah, I, I, I bring my own too. Are you a, are you a coffee snob in particular? I mean, if you... Not super. I'll, okay. I mean, I'll drink, happily drink whatever's available. Yeah. But, but, but you're, bringing, I, you're still flying with coffee. So there's some level of... Uh... It's important. I mean, it's an important <laughs> moment to me yeah. in the morning, you know, because I don't go to breakfast, so I want to sit oh, and yeah, just relax. Yeah. And um, But when I'm at home, of course, I grind beans, but here I, <laughs> I make know, certain allowances. We've taken the next step, and we actually roast our own. Wow. You can, you can do it with a, uh, with a popcorn popper, and you buy raw beans. They're hmm. like, you know, there's places on the Internet that you buy the raw beans from. And so if you want to up your game even more, look I'm into that. I'm getting into that because I will get into it. Well, Do you roast it daily or just a bunch of it at a time? You, or? You, we roast like a week's worth or so at a time. Mm -hmm. um, depending on the time of year, it doesn't take too long. In the winter, it takes forever because yeah. to get the heat up right. enough is just... You know, it and take, it makes it takes a, a difference. While. It's very. Um... It does, and you know what the the price works out to like. It's as if you were buying eight o'clock coffee or something really? like that. There's huh. more time, of course, but uh -huh. like, yeah, there, it's like six bucks a pound or something. For, oh, good grief! And it's fun too because you know it's like one of these websites where um you get to see what farm it's from and there's the it's like wine people like there's the flavor profile and like whatever i don't know if i taste burnt orange zest in this one but like it's still good coffees <laughs> raspberry notes mhm mm